is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. Health Innovation Media brings your brand narrative alive via original or value-added, digitally curated thought leadership content for omni-channel distribution and engagement. Connect with us at www.popupstudio.productions. And welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director, Producer, Co-Host of Pop Health Week. Joining me in the virtual studio is my partner, colleague, and lead co-host, Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC. On today's show, our guest is Caitlin Tung, a fourth-year student at the University of Washington School of Pharmacy, also known as UW. Caitlin received her undergraduate degree in biochemistry at UW, as well as a dual degree MBA. She has experience as a market analyst for a small consulting firm whose clients are smaller biotech companies. Caitlin was also the AMCP Foundation Pfizer Managed Care Summer Intern at Cigna and Pfizer this past summer, where she learned a lot about the pharmaceutical industry and managed care. We discussed the role of analytics to improve the quality of care and outcomes for diabetic populations, her career trajectory, and the attractive role of the pharmacists innovating in the managed care space. So, Fred, with that introduction, over to you. Help us learn more about Caitlin and her work in the space. Thanks so much, Greg and Caitlin. Welcome to Pop Health Week. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's really a pleasure to get you on. Obviously, we met at the uh, AMCP Nexus Forum, and you had this interesting poster up there. But before we get into the poster, why don't you give our audience a sense of your background? Yeah, so I grew up in San Jose, California, and moved to Seattle, Washington to complete my undergraduate degree at of Washington. And I'm still here uh, doing my uh, pharmacy doctorate degree also at University of Washington School of Pharmacy. Um, This is my last year. I'm doing rotations right now. And uh, this is actually my fifth year in pharmacy school because I completed my dual degree MBA program in 2020. Um, I met Fred. Well, uh, this is a long story, but just to provide some context, I uh, completed a 10-week internship through AMCP Foundation that was funded by Pfizer and my site was at Cigna. Uh, Through this uh, internship, I was assigned to do a capstone research project that turned into a poster presentation at AMCP Nexus. And while I was off getting some food, I walked back to my poster and saw Fred taking a picture of my poster. So I, I was just so honored and uh, you know happy to see someone actually appreciating my work. So I stopped him and thanked him for uh, appreciating it. And that's why I'm here today. <laughs> well, that's great. Thank you for putting that in, Caitlin. Uh, so why did you decide to go into pharmacy? Yeah, so both of my parents are in healthcare. My mom's a nurse and my dad is a clinical lab technician. uh, And they've both worked at Kaiser Permanente for as long as I've lived, literally. So (laughs) I've always just been surrounded by healthcare and I wanted to do something that impacts patients, um, but kind of at a larger scale. So that's why I kind of got interested in managed care and industry. Uh, I do have some experience as uh, an inpatient pharmacy intern and I also worked at Safeway for a few years, but really just honed in on my interest in managed care and industry. So I've been pursuing those kinds of roles, and I'm actively applying for fellowships right now as well. 
That's great. And congratulations, by the way, on the MBA in combination with the PharmD. That's quite oh, the accomplishment there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So let's, you know, I, as I was walking around, uh, you know, the hall, I walked by every one of the posters. I did every row, which was good. I got in a bunch of steps. So anyhow, when I saw yours and I thought, wow, you know, this is on COVID. We're, I'm doing some work around COVID. And this is showing some interesting stuff and really fascinating from a payer perspective. And your poster was called The Impact of COVID-19 on the Initiation of Statin Therapy in Persons with Diabetes and Implications for Star Rating Measures. So tell us, why did you pick that topic first and what is sort of the significance of statins and diabetes? Yeah, so... uh First off, we were given a few topics to work with, me and my preceptor, Christopher Powers, who is uh, the who is the main star ratings person at Cigna. And we didn't really like any of those topics because, you know, he, he has always wanted to do something research related in the payer side. Um, but none of them were particularly immediately relevant to the situation. And he also wanted to do a project that was, you know, relevant for his work. And obviously I was, um, I'm not new to managed care, but I was new to stars. And so that was really interesting to me as well. So we kind of put, you know, something, we tried to find something that was related to the pandemic and related to stars rating measures. And then um, we decided to focus on statin initiation in persons with diabetes, because that's kind of a, that's kind of a measure that can kind of be swept under the table in terms of prescribing just because it's not an immediate illness. Uh, there's no uh, visible side effects always. And, you know, there was there's just always so much going on in terms of prescribing and um, you know, especially in the elderly population and the Medicare Part D population. So that's kind of how we came about the idea. We just wanted to do something that was immediately immediately applicable to the Medicare Part D part, to the STARS piece, and then something that isn't immediately prioritized in a clinic setting. So let me ask you this question kind of out of left field. Greg and I have been at this, this uh, managed care, healthcare stuff for 30 plus years. You're a relative newcomer. STARS yes. is put out as this quality metric to measure health plans. What's your sense when you look at STARS and look at it in this area? Is it something you think that is giving valuable information to the individuals who receive, who are using it to score health plans? Yes, definitely. I think it's really useful, um, especially if you're a patient that has a certain chronic illness that is, you know, taken into consideration by STARS. Um, it'll definitely help the, the patient or member figure out which plan is right for them, what plan is right for their chronic illness, um, what will help them save money in the grand, grand scheme of uh, medications. So when you look at this, um, how what did you ultimately look at and then what did you find? So we looked into Cigna Medicare Advantage members who were fully enrolled from January 1st, 2018 to December 31st, 2019, and then January 1st, 2019 to December 31st, 2020. So those are our two cohorts. Uh, the 2019 cohort, and then the 2020 cohort. So we included anyone that was aged 40 to 75 years old who had at least two paid claims for diabetes medications during the evaluation year and had no paid claims for any statin within the past 12 months. And those are just following the um, inclusion and exclusion criteria for the SUPD or statin use in persons with diabetes measure. And 
And so how large was the study? Uh, the study, we looked into 11,322 members for the 2019 group. And then for the 2020 group, we found we identified 9,807 members. Right. And in those in the study, you found that so you looked at baseline and then you looked at the first year for each of the two groups, looked at whether or not they had a statin prescribed in that second year. Is that right? Yep, definitely. And then we also looked at other member demographic information, such as low income subsidy or LIS status, whether they had two or more paid claims for diabetes medications in the baseline year, type of diabetes, geographical region, risk score, and total medical cost in the baseline year. Mm -hmm. And so what were your findings? I mean, everyone's wondered what how COVID has impacted people who maybe were being treated for other conditions. And this is one of those classics. It's a chronic disease. What's going on? Did they get access? What did you find? Yeah, so the unadjusted rate of statin initiation, as in uh, not really evaluating the other demographics, information that we looked at, the rate of statin initiation in 2019 was 46.8%. And then in 2020, it was 40%. And then uh, once you incorporate all those other variables, we found that the likelihood of statin initiation in 2020 was 24.2% lower than 2019. And that was uh, statistically significant. Wow. So these were people who should have been getting the prescription, but didn't. Yes. For one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then it, when you think about that over the longer term, what are some of the possible impacts of that to the individual? Yeah, so moderate high intensity statin use is uh, generally recommended by the American College of Cardiology for individuals aged 40 to 75 with diabetes uh, in order to reduce the risk of atherosclerotic atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. So in the grand scheme of things, these patients are at higher risk of getting heart disease. Um, you know, they're, they're not as healthy as they should be. Um, they, their risk score might increase over the years. So generally down the line, costs will increase. They'll spend more money on more medications or even hospital visits. And obviously their health then might be poorer and yes. they're living with uh, other disabilities or things associated with that. Exactly. Interesting. And I also know you sort of teased out some subgroup in information in that. What else did you find? Yeah, so this might not come as a surprise to anyone, but <laughs> we, found that, we found that the Southeast region actually had the lowest likelihood of the other regions we compared it to were Mid-Atlantic, Midwest, and the Southwest. Um, and Go ahead. No, I'm just laughing because Greg and I were specifically discussing that issue before you came on and, and essentially saying, well, there's no surprise there. But you then have validated once again this issue we face in the southeast. Yeah. And I think it's definitely a, a great area to start, you know, trying out initiatives and seeing what can increase medication adherence in that area. Do you have any sense for why the numbers drop? Why the prescriptions or fills dropped? I think that uh, it might have dropped because there were higher priority issues. Obviously, COVID was a huge, you know, huge issue during 2020. And I think when people were going to the doctor, were go getting their telehealth visits, they were mostly, you know, trying to figure out solutions to their more chronic 
and priority issues as opposed to, you know, oh, your HbA1c is low, you might need to take a statin. Mm-hmm. And it, you talked a little bit about possibly, you know, an idea, maybe trying to focus on the southeast United States. What would you as an uh, a soon-to-be PharmD <laughs> think about doing? What are some of the ideas that might be used to address this issue? Yeah, I think a great way to address this issue is through social media because everyone is on social media these days. Everyone is using Facebook, which is soon to be called Meta. Um, just tar- targeting targeting those individuals that use social media a lot would be great. And, you know, just incorporating little educational pieces on why heart health is important, you know, talk to your doctor if you think you may need a statin. These are the these are the inclusion criteria for needing a statin. Um, if you're diabetic, you know, these are some things that could help you in- improve that or improve your overall health. And then also, um, I think one thing that isn't adequate or uh, isn't communicated enough to patients is like, we want, we don't want to just solve the immediate problems, you know, we want to help them get their overall health better. So just, you know, trying to find some educational piece that'll remind them that down the road, what we're trying to do right now is going to help them live a better life, live a longer life, live a healthier and happier life. And if you're just tuning in to Pop Health Week, our guest is Caitlin Tung, a fourth-year student at the University of Washington School of Pharmacy. For more information or to learn more about the School of Pharmacy at UW, go to www.sop.washington.edu or follow them on Twitter via at UW underscore pharmacy. Uh-huh. And- in terms of Caitlin, uh, not just focusing so much on the on the patient, which is obviously critical, but is, is there a role to be played in focusing on the providers themselves? Oh yes, definitely. Um, I mean, even <laughs> just sending around my poster to the Southeast region prescribers and showing them, like, look, you guys are you guys are falling behind all the other regions. You need to do something to catch up. That's definitely a good, a good idea too. <laughs> so, so are you talking to any of the funders of this study or the health plan about sending your poster out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that has ended I haven't um, I haven't done too much on the poster but that's we have been in the talks of potentially getting a manuscript out there so um, maybe that would help increase awareness that's that's great and I know there were a couple limitations to the study it's always important to point those out what were some of the limitations to your study yeah well, firstly, the results are based on administrative claims data, so it might not always show the full clinical picture. Um, definitely, there were some va- variables that we could have looked into, but it uh, was at risk of introducing a little bit of collinearity or no statistical significance. And then secondly, uh, CMS added new exclusions to the SUPD measure in 2021, such as history of myopathy, and those weren't included in our study because we were trying to include as many patients as we can, and that measure wasn't, or that ruling wasn't introduced until 2021. So um, just our data might include beneficiaries who have or had contraindications to statin use. Right. And uh, and another interesting point you found in that was your l- low income group. And what did you find with that? 
Yeah, we found that the group receiving low income subsidies were more likely to start a statin than the group not receiving LIS. And that was consistent across both cohorts. Um, that was interesting. And we were kind of thinking it might be because the medications are more affordable, they're more willing to pick up their medications. But another limitation there is we don't actually know if they're still, if they're actively Know, adhering to the medications. We just know that they're picking up. They filled it. That's always been the problem in adherence. Well, we know they picked it up. We just don't know if they <laughs> actually got ingested. So definitely yeah. an issue. Um, what What else, what did this teach you? What did you learn about yourself? Yeah, I just wanted to mention one more interesting yeah, thing. Yeah, please go I, ahead. <laughs> that was my that was my favorite point actually that I meant to bring up. Um, but it was so we broke down the age into three buckets: uh, younger than sixty five, so forty to sixty five years old, then sixty five to seventy years old, and then seventy one to seventy five years. That's the whole age that fits in the SUPD measure. And we found that that middle group was actually more likely to start a statin than the younger than 65 or the 71 to 75 age group. And that was really shocking to both me and my preceptors, because like, if you're older, why aren't you just getting prescribed all the medications that you need? But then um, after taking a step back and thinking about it, we realized that if you're younger than 65, you might not be fully into um, your chronic illness, like you're not experiencing that many side effects. So there's less of a, in, uh, an urgent need to have a statin. And then if you're older, there's definitely a risk of overprescribing polypharmacy. And again, the issue of um, identifying identifying diseases that need immediate treatment as opposed to one that's kind of occurring in the background uh, is definitely something to think about as well. Yeah, I'm wondering, this would be an interesting one to look at, and we've discussed it off on the show, really well aware of it. I'm wondering if people going in for their first annual Medicare wellness visit might have had it brought up at that point. You're looking at that 65 to 70 year age group, and that might be their first one, and maybe it's getting a little more attention early because of that. Yeah, eventually, definitely. So, well, really, really neat stuff. And and getting back to the, the question, I really appreciate <laughs> you bringing up that the different age groups because that is a fascinating issue. The older people, polypharmacy, they've been in Medicare for a while. The doctor probably knows them. Those kinds of things you would think would make it more likely. Um, so, self, what did you learn from this or what was the experience like? Uh, it was definitely... A really, really fun experience. Chris Powers is so intelligent and so passionate and always, he was always so supportive. And I was so glad to be able to reach out to him at any time of day and just ask him a question. And also he was really knowledgeable in SaaS software. So um, he was able to help me, you know, figure out how to crunch the data, how to make it a presentable and easily digestible. So I think my main takeaway from this was how to, you know, this started as a do a capstone research project. That's all I got. And just to turn that extremely loose requirement into something impactful and, you know, easily talked about and relevant 
And that serves as a template for if we ever find ourselves in a pandemic again, God forbid, is truly rewarding. And I do not regret this experience at all. Uh, That's fantastic. And I would assume if we looked at something like this, uh, given the, the broad impact of the pandemic on the healthcare system, we'd probably find similar issues associated with other adherence measures or chronic disease management approaches. Have you thought some about that? Yes, I have. I would definitely think that the ones that are, you know, either are dealing with chronic illnesses where, you know, it's recommended but not mandated to prescribe a medication for that illness, those measures would definitely also probably see similar results. Mm-hmm. So what, as you think about this too, you know, talk about some of the ideas that educating patients or providers providing, what role could pharmacists play in, in improving this? Yeah, pharmacists play such an important role in this. And I feel like it's hard for patients and even providers to understand the role that we play. Um, but we are able to, you know, conduct this kind of research one, study the impact of change in access, um, and uh, the pharmacist would be able to effectively strategize and prioritize ways to provide healthcare to those who need it, um, especially in, like I was saying earlier, the event another health pandemic occurs. Mm-hmm. With your soon to completed PharmD, I guess is what you finish up maybe early next year, or next year, mid-year? Or yes, I graduate in? June 2022. Well, congratulations, an early congratulations for a successful <laughs> PharmD degree here. Thank you. That's just great. So now you've got this under your belt, the degree, you've got your poster, a unique study pandemic, you've worked a bit in Cigna. What do you plan to do with your degree? Where are you going next? Or what are your yeah. thoughts about that? Yeah, I am currently applying to industry fellowships. I have found that I really enjoyed designing the poster, designing the communication piece. So I've chosen the functional area. We'll see how that goes. Um, I'm like I was saying earlier, I'm currently doing a rotation. Uh, this one is work from home, which so I'm lucky to be able to uh, sit from the comfort of my home and take a break from rotations and talk to you today. <laughs> um, but yeah, just applying to fellowships, hopefully that will land me a career in industry and I can continue to, uh, you know, do impactful research and find gaps in healthcare access. Wow. So you're thinking of going into sort of maybe the managed care side itself or something like that to do research within those organizations or another place? Uh, I was thinking more on the industry side. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Got it. And um, are there any particular areas of healthcare, cardiac, some of find most interesting or you plan to try to work in? Yeah, I have actually found that oncology is the most interesting for me at this point, just because I was I was doing a PowerPoint presentation on non-small cell lung cancer, and I realized that I had no idea how to read the NCCN guidelines. I It was so complex, <laughs> and it was just super challenging for me to figure out, but also extremely fun. So going into the oncology space would, you know, I feel would continue to challenge me. And it's such an exciting space to work in because there's always new drugs coming up in the pipeline. And um, just the culture of more oncology focused 
biotechnology companies, uh, I feel has is a me. Wow. So you'd look to do research within an oncology based pharma organization. Yeah. Like market research or um, access and analysis. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So you're more interested in what the outcomes might be or where you take this, et cetera, versus mm -hmm. the actual research on the product, drugs themselves, things like that. Yeah, I think it's a great, I really enjoyed uh, working part-time as a market access analyst for a small consulting firm in San Diego. I think their work was really cool, like just, you know, supporting a drug through launch and figuring out what services are needed to support a patient through their difficult oncology journey. That has been really interesting for me. So I would like to continue a career with that. Are. Mm -hmm. uh you said you also, I guess this was through the AMCP Foundation? Yes, was definitely. That, so mm -hmm. how did that work and what was that experience? Yeah, so uh, I was heavily involved in our in UW's local AMCP chapter. I participated in a few P&T competitions and, you know, joined the ISPORA happy hours. And um, I came across the AMCP Foundation internships and Basically, you apply, and I think specifically for this role, I had to uh, submit like a sample and a small letter of intent, and then interviewed with the company, loved it, um, and and got the role. And then when I went into it, I was I wasn't really sure what I was expecting, but I absolutely loved managed care. I loved working for Cigna. It was they are so sweet and really supportive and you know anything I wanted to learn they would just be like okay here go attend this meeting learn about this and um, they also gave me and I mostly worked in Medicare but I had an opportunity to uh, experience the commercial side of of the company and that was also really interesting and then on the Pfizer side, I had one mentor, Eric Carta. He was so good. He was like, what do you need to learn about industry? Let me walk you through everything. He's a medical outcome specialist. So he's really knowledgeable about um, you know, account management and managed markets. So mm -hmm. overall, it was just such a rewarding experience. I have never learned so much in 10 weeks, which is funny to say because I went to pharmacy school for five years. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And just a quick comment. We have about a minute left or so here. What were your thoughts of AMTP Nexus? Oh, it was so fun. Obviously, uh, number one thing was meet you and getting the opportunity to record <laughs> this podcast. It, uh, no, I promise it has been on my bucket list. I am so excited to be here. Um, and then just, you know, networking and getting to meet every all my uh, fellow interns the MCP Foundation interns in person, that was really great. And then also meeting my Cigna preceptor in person, just meeting everybody in person was the best part. <laughs> yeah, I think that in-person thing was really unbelievable. So that was just great. Well, Caitlin, I want to thank you so much for coming on Pop Health Week and discussing your study. And I wish you much success in your future endeavors. Thanks, Fred. It was great being here. And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank Caitlin Tung, a fourth-year student at University of Washington School of Pharmacy, for her time and insights today. For more information or to learn more about the School of Pharmacy at UW, go to www.sop.washington.edu or 
follow them on Twitter via at UW underscore pharmacy.